This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Ask you if you would to just stand with me real quickly as we read a few sections of scripture, Ephesians chapter number one. We're actually going to read just three verses here because this is what I'm going to highlight. We're going to take time today to kind of pause from uh, the verse by verse, go through, and then step back and do an overview of where we've come. And then next week, we're going to pick up on, uh, on, on, on Ephesians chapter 2, where it talks about the resurrection. What a great time to do that. So today, I'm going to just uh, hone in on a couple of verses as we fly over chapter 1. These are the verses I want us to look at, verses 17 through 19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated. See it. One thing that, um, that can be asked of somebody who's been in a relationship or a marriage for a long time is they ask, especially if they seem to like each other, and you've gone for a while liking each other. You've even grown in love and affection for one another. And you see a couple and you go, what's the key to this relationship? Give me some keys here. Now, there may be somebody who would throw out some keys. But I, I will say this. If you've ever been asked that question or or if you've ever asked somebody that question, the possibility of someone actually answering that question is an an impossible task. To know what it is that you've done to make something healthy and living and working, there's things you can talk about, but honestly, they fall really short, because if you know anything about a relationship, there's so many characteristics, so many things, so many nuances, so many foundations, so many things that go into it, you're constantly seeing it grow and go through ups and downs and and times of life, and you're in this commitment and covenant, and you're just thankful that you're a part of it. But whenever I hear somebody answer the question, I feel, I feel uh, sometimes like, man, they just gave some self-glorifying answer about how great they were. When the reality is, there's so many things that go into this. It's kind of like if somebody asks, hey, why is your relationship with the Lord so good? Or why does it seem like you've been 
in that relationship for a while and there's so many things that are are healthy and vibrant and living and they're they're asking most likely because they're finding some major deficiencies in their relationship with the Lord and there's some major struggles that are taking place or maybe there's just an absence. I don't even know if I'm in a relationship with the Lord. And I could give some self-glorifying answer or narrow it down to kind of like, well, I read my Bible. You're like, so all you do is just read your Bible. And I pray. Okay, so I got to pray. It's kind of like somebody goes, well, I buy her flowers. That's what I do. So you're telling me the key to your relationship is you bought her flowers. Like that's the key. That's why the whole thing's worked. Flowers. Or if you hear a girl going, she don't buy, he, he don't buy me flowers anymore. Like, let's just pause for a minute. You're telling me if this guy goes out and buys you flowers, that's going to fix your problems? Like you really believe that flowers are going to fix everything? You have so narrowed down your relationship that you have totally missed the problem. Wouldn't it be nice if he actually liked you? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if he wanted to be around you? Oh, but he got you flowers. You're good? He can't stand you, but he got you flowers. He doesn't want to talk to you. The the very sound of your voice is irritating, but he bought you flowers. So you're good. When we take things out of the context of relationship and elevate those things, what we end up doing is giving a far less picture. It's like telling somebody, yeah, if you tithe, if you pray, if you read your Bible, what else? I still feel far distant and separated. This is where Paul really drives in in praying in verses 17 through 9, praying for something. And what he's praying for is that they would have a revelation of the knowledge of God and that their eyes would be opened. And when he prays, he prays in this a Trinitarian prayer. And in this Trinitarian prayer, he prays in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now hear me this. This right here is the only perfect, fully covenantal. You cannot separate them. They are one. This Perfect union, relationship, and covenant. Matter of fact, when we fast forward, just a a hint, Ephesians 5 says, if you're looking at a marriage, it's a mystery and it's profound, but the marriage is actually not about the marriage. It's about Christ and his love for the church. This perfect union and commitment. What he's praying for in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit, That all of this perfect relationship, would you let them know 
Now, here's how I want you to see this. They are in perfect unity, and what he's praying for, that with that perfect unity, that they would be drawn into that relationship. Into the relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, you are being brought into a perfectly covenantal, powerful relationship. You are being brought into the relationship with God. So he starts the book with praise. He starts the book with praise because we are to be a people of praise. And here's the reason why. We're to be a people of praise because any healthy relationship is continually pouring out praise on the other. Let's look at the good relationship, not yours, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? When you look at the Trinitarian relationship between the Father and Son and the Spirit, they are constantly glorifying the other. The Father is always glorifying the Son and the Spirit by saying, look at them, and you can't know me apart from them, and look at this, you need this, you need this, you need this, pointing to them. The, the Son, when he comes, says, look, when you see me, you see the Father. Don't mistake it. Look at the Father, and it's going to be better for you when the Spirit comes. He's pointing them to the other. The Spirit seems like a silent part of the Trinity because he's fine with just going, look at the Father, look at the Son, look at the Father, look at the Son. Why? Because when you're in that kind of relationship where the other is out glorifying the other, everybody gets glory. The father is not trying to hog all the glory. The son's not trying to hog all the glory. The spirit's not trying. To, they're all getting this glory, and they're all giving it to one another. And here's what you're called into. You are called into a healthy relationship, and the entrance into that relationship is through you coming in in praise. To the praise of his glorious grace. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. When I first got married, uh, my wife on our honeymoon bought me a guitar because I was just getting into the guitar. And so she would be driving on the honeymoon and she's, you know, driving. She's like, just play. And I would sit in this little car and I'd just be like fiddling around. And she's driving around one time on the honeymoon. This is not that far in. This is not that far in. This is honeymoon. And she said in joking, but she's repeated it a few times. Uh, so I'm not sure if it's a joke anymore. <laughs> but she said, I wish you would play with me like you play that guitar. I wish you would look at me like you look at that guitar. Now, thank God it was the guitar and not another girl or something. Or is it? Was she throwing some sort of signal my way that what she wanted was not just a marriage license, she wanted my affection. She wanted me to want her. I signed the paper, girl. We're on a honeymoon, girl. 
The reality is when we think about knowing God, most of us think what that means is we need to know a list of facts and we need to make sure our beliefs are right. But you better hear this. Even if you have your right beliefs, they can see what you look at adoringly. You're not going to enter into a relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit who they are fully giving adoration and praise to the other and come in and go, I get all of it. Give it all to me. I'll take all the benefits. I'll take all the glory. Give it all to me. No, 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 no. When we come into a relationship with God and we enter into this union with him, it is coming in in complete adoration and wonder of who he is and going, I don't, I don't deserve any of it. All glory be to you to the praise of his glorious grace. Harold Best says this, worship is a continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever have in light of a chosen or choosing God. You see, what he's saying here is everyone worships. And it doesn't stop. Everyone adores something. And you don't stop adoring But what we misunderstand is that him wanting our worship and glory and us giving him glory and praise, him saying, come and give me all, that he's the only one deserving it, that we are constantly pouring out this unending fountain of worship on other things. Oh, we got a good list of beliefs, but the reason we don't know him is because we don't adore You should be nervous if you don't like praising God. You should be nervous. Because what you're trying to do is enter into a relationship with God and receive all of his benefits, but you don't actually like him. Now, I ain't saying you're a gold digger. but that's what it sounds like. You see, when, when a worshiper reads Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, they're entering in a song of praise. But when somebody who's just at a distance, maybe a stalker reads it, they're going, look at all the facts about God. Or somebody who's trying to be a gold digger, they're going, look at all the things I get. But when a worshiper reads it, they enter into the song of praise with Paul singing, oh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us with every spirit. He's poured out upon us all of these blessings. He's lavished it and he chose us. Oh, I don't know why he chose me. I'm going to tell you this. I've thought this. I still think this to this day. I look at Dana and I go, dear God, dear God, Thank you for making her blind that she would choose me. That she chooses me and continues to choose me. That he chose us. He chose us. He wants us. He predestined us. 
He redeemed us. He forgave us. And he's shown us the mystery of his will that we get this inheritance. He's lavished it all upon us. We get to know it. He's poured his spirit into us. And you can just see that he's worshiping and praising and calling all Jew, Gentile, everyone to come and worship and adore. Church, we should be a people of praise. Why? Because praise is the only right response when you hear of the acts in which Christ has done, the things in which God has done for us. Listen, when I came into this thing and started learning more and more about God's work and his power to choose and election and predestination, some people like to sit around and try to understand it. It blew my mind. I couldn't figure it out. But I'll tell you what happened when I started hearing of it. I had to take a lot of praise breaks. You all can sit around and try to analyze it, but give me a minute because he's worthy of all praise. That's crazy. Look at all that God's done. Look at the miracles he's caused. Look at how he's forgiven. He's adopted me. He's chosen me. He's brought me in. He's lavished these things upon me. He is worthy of all praise. Church, we are, we are, we are failing in praise. Not because of our singing, but because our affections are going in other places. And we're not blown away. I'm going to tell you this. You want to have a close knowledge and understanding and a, wor- and, a, and a relationship with God, it's only going to come through you shifting your affections towards him. I'm going to tell you this. What makes a healthy relationship? You actually love the person. And you continue to love them. And you pour out your love and adoration upon them. And every day you choose to do it. And I'm going to tell you this. You could be paying the bills. You could be taking care of the responsibilities. And then she's going to go one day. Why are you looking at her that way? Why are you looking at that that way? Why are you spending so much time at work? I I, I like that we're doing. I like that our responsibilities. But I would love for you to want me. This is a kind of relationship that God's calling us into. He doesn't just want your mind. He wants your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'll say it this way. I'll use worship in this sense, but I do know that worship is all of life. In work, in life, in every, I'm worshiping him nonstop in different ways. But if you can enter into a place and you see someone, maybe Wayne and I are up here worshiping, there's like, there's no way that they can feel like that every day. There's no way every Sunday they feel that way. You're right. It's not a feeling. Sometimes I feel it, sometimes I don't. You're right. Well, then why do you do it? Because it's fake if you don't feel it. Why do I do it? Because I'm in a relationship with God and he loves it when I lift my hands to him. He loves it when I pour out my adoration upon him. He loves it when I speak of his wonders and my, he loves it. And because I'm entering in, not, not, trying to, not trying to glorify myself and take what I want and feel, but, but pouring out my affection and worship upon him in this small moment. 
He's deserving of it. A healthy relationship is rooted in praise. And I'm going to tell you this, we are to be a people of prayer. But the reason we don't understand prayer is not because we haven't taken a class. Because if you look at Paul's prayer, it transitions nicely from praise. Because praise transitions to prayer easily. When you see who he is and you are in that place of praise and you're adoring how good and wonderful and what is he, you see all of the powers and the things around and all the things that are pulling at our affections. You see this world and the evil and the age to come. You see all the things that are taking place. And you realize that not only is he worthy of all praise, but I am fully dependent upon him. There's another thing about relationships. They're rooted in praise and dependence upon each other. Oh, I know, we're all independent. I'm an independent man. I'm an independent woman. I don't need nobody. And you wonder why all your relationships are jacked up. I got myself. I take care of myself. Every relationship is so jacked up in your life, but you are independent and lonely. Well, let's look at the God, the perfect relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have fully made themselves distinct but dependent upon each other. You can't even know them apart from each other. They have become so one that the, the son says, I can't say anything apart from my father. I can't do anything apart from the spirit. The spirit says, I can't do nothing apart from the, the power of Christ and apart from the father. They are so interdependent upon each other. They are glorifying the other and they cannot, if you will, they cannot do life apart from each other. You want to know when a relationship really starts to, is yes, when it's rooted in praise, but when you start realizing this thing, I don't want to do life without them. There's an interdependence that takes place. Oh, I know. We don't want to be dependent. That's another reason our relationships are broken. And our relationship with God. Because our relationship with God is that we're entering into a relationship in which they're glorifying the other. And the only way in is when we are glorifying the other. And then we're entering into a relationship where they're interdependent. And we can only come in when we come in in faith. Which means dependence. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith means we come in completely entrusting ourselves to them, that we cannot do life apart from him. In him we live and move and have our being. There's nothing apart from him that I can even do. I am fully dependent upon him. We can't come in to this interdependent relationship where they're perfectly one and join in and stay independent. That's why prayer is hard for us. Prayer is not hard for us because we haven't taken a class. Prayer is hard for us because we think we can do everything on our own. 
That's it. Prayer's tough when you don't want to be weak. Prayer's tough when you want to be an independent man, an independent woman. Prayer's tough. But when you are in a glorifying of the other and you see that you are fully dependent on him, you enter into these times of prayer and you pray things like Paul prayed, God, Father, Son, Spirit, let them know you. Please open their eyes. I can't. I'm saying a song and they just stood there and looked at me. I've, I've preached and they're not listening. I've, I've written them a letter and there's a, but I need you to open their eyes that they would know you. We cannot do anything apart from the Spirit, apart from God. And what he does is he falls into this time of prayer. He's feeling weak. Now listen, when his disciples went to him and asked Jesus, Jesus, could you teach us how to pray? They thought they needed a class. He said, okay, I'll show you. Start with praise. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that will transition nicely into your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I can't eat without you. And I can't do life without you. Would you protect me? Would you hold me? Would you keep me? Would you not let me wander off and be by my, I need you. I'm prone to wander. I need you. And I know how good and holy and right you are. Praise leads to prayer because prayer acknowledges our dependence upon God. Say, I want to have a good relationship with God. He wants your affections and he wants you to be dependent upon him. Last thing is this. We're a people who know true power. Notice what he prayed for. As he's praising and he slips into prayer, he prays that they would know him and they would know him through this knowledge of who Christ is and through this knowledge that they would see the power that they have. If we're honest, when we look at the power of this world and we look at the rulers and authorities and government structures, when we look at at government leaders, when we look at the culture and the world around us, when we look at the power of sin and the demonic world, when we look at all of these things and we look at them, if we're honest, we are overwhelmed by how strong they are. And they're flexing. And they're showing their muscles. And while they're flexing and showing their muscles, our worship starts to go towards them because we like their abs. 
We like their muscles, their tight glutes. And they show their power and their strength, and we're attracted to it. And your adoration slips towards them, and you start to become dependent upon them. And before you know it, you're worshiping other gods. And you've cheated on your Creator. And it didn't happen because of how strong they are. It happened because of how attracted you are to that strength and that power. Because if we're honest, when we hear about a Savior who comes into the world in humility and weakness and dies upon a cross while all powers and rulers and authorities are flexing their muscles and looking at him. We're going, why? Why won't you call all the angels and have them demolish him? Why won't you rise up in power? Why? Because the powers of this world are flexing their muscles and what we want is a stronger because we don't know new power. We don't know power. We're attracted to this power because we watch too many movies. And because 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the gospel will seem weak and foolish to those who are perishing. But to them who are being saved, it's power. I'm telling you. You're drawn to, you're drawn to it, and then you look at what Christ did, and you're like, that's foolish. 2 Corinthians 12, 8, and 9, Paul's begging him, come and take this thorn from my flesh. And God says to Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient. You see, the gospel power that has been given to the church is this resurrection power that goes from death to life, true life. God takes death and he brings us to life, and what we want is the resurrection power apart from the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, we don't want to know God. We want to be strong. But Paul prays in Philippians 3, that I may know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your sufferings. Isn't it interesting that when you enter into a covenantal relationship, you acknowledge from the front, no matter what happens, because it will happen. And if you know anything about a healthy relationship, it's not just times of prosperity, but it's times of poverty. 
and I actually know Dana deeper because of the times of poverty. It's in sickness and in health. And in those times, I've deepened my love and affection. I've seen what true relationship is like. It's in those times that I've actually been drawn into knowing her. Oh, I want to know God. Oh, do you want to know God? Here's how you're going to come in. First, you got to stop thinking so much about yourself because you ain't that great. Everything you have and all that you've been given as a child of God has been lavished upon you by a God who's so generous. He loves to just lavish things upon his children. And that there is this glorifying relationship. I'm going to tell you this. You better get real comfortable with praising and adoring him if you want to have a good relationship with him. I wish I could drive that nail deeper because I know there's many of you who want to find somebody who's good for you but not somebody you can adore. You're missing relationship. You know all those things you fill out online to find your perfect match, the person created in your image and likeness? You know all those? The perfect made for you? You remember them? The one you don't have to adore, but you can adore them because they kind of remind you of you? That one? And then it still doesn't work? Because they need somebody to adore them too. Why is the relationship falling apart? Because you guys are doing a great job at praising yourselves. Why is this relationship so down? God, why aren't you pouring out so many blessings and lavishing it upon me? Why aren't you praising me? In, in it, you're missing all that he's lavished upon you and adoring him for all that he's done. Two is, why is my relationship so off? It's because of your fierce independence. You're strong. You're powerful. You're smart. Doggone it, people like you. And I don't want to lose myself in a relationship. You won't know God. You'll live in fierce independence because it's when you lose yourself and you're fully dependent upon him that you enter into this perfect unity. You get brought into the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and you get to partake of all that they enjoy together. That should blow your mind. Like you should be in that relationship. We should be in that relationship going, ooh, uh, I hope they don't, I hope they kick me out of this there. This is too good to be true. And the security comes in seeing their character and their love and the work that they've done and their faithfulness and kindness. And it doesn't come in me. 
And lastly, it comes when you recognize the true power of the gospel. Church, you can ask, what does it mean to know God? And I would say this, it means you're glorifying him, you're dependent upon him, you're fellowshipping with him in his sufferings, and you're conforming to him. Have you ever seen an older couple who've been together for a long time? My dream. And they go, it's weird. You guys kind of look like each other after all these years. They've become conformed to each other. So much so you can't even imagine themselves apart from each other. That's the real time where you start merging names together like Bradgelina and all that kind of stuff. Like they're one. They're one. And they know each other because they have become one. And in that, they've actually experienced the kind of relationship Christ wants to have with us. It's fully formed. It's heart, affections, right? Soul, mind. Hey, I'm not saying you don't think deeply. Strength, action. It's all of us. It's all of Him. Church, I got to ask Pastor Wayne to come up here with me because one of the things that this is not just my prayer and it's not actually just Pastor Wayne and I's prayer, but it's all the elders. We can sit up here and preach our guts out. Kyle can sit up here and sing his guts out, play music. We can serve communion. We can sit in counseling rooms and, 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 and cry out. Hey, here's the gospel. But we leave those rooms, we leave this room so helpless and praying, God, can they know you? Not just here. I don't want them to think these sermons are to make you smarter. I want you to know him. I want you to be drawn into intimacy with him. When we're singing songs, we don't want just cool sounding music. We want you to worship him and adore him. Could you imagine, if you will, on chapter one, Paul just up there playing the guitar. This is not, this is in my head. This is not actually what happened singing about lavishing blessings upon him and he's looking out into the audience and everybody's standing there unaffected. And he slips into prayer. They won't do it unless they know you. Show them. Show them. Their praise is going to other things. I can see the way they look at everything else. I want them to look at you that way. I could see where they're pouring out all their time. I could see where they're giving their affections and their lives to you. I could see the powers of this age. I could see the temptations and the desires of the world. I could see the culture and all the things swarming around them. Show them you. 
Open their eyes. Make them want you. Let them be a people of praise. Let them be a people of prayer. Let them be a people who know true power and not try to flex, but die with you so that in you they could rise to new life. I want you to know them deeply, experientially, mentally, with everything. So I want Wayne to pray and then you're going to come and partake in communion. There's going to be people over here if you want prayer, and we're just going to sing. And I pray that you don't just stand unaffected. Well, I don't feel like it, but he wants it. He wants your praise. So we're going to respond. If you want prayer, if you want to come to the table after Wayne prays, if you want to sing and worship, if you want to do all of them, let's do it together. Let's respond as a people of praise, prayer. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.